2: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to New Books and Genocide Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host today, Jeff Bachman, a senior lecturer at the American University School of International Service and a genocide studies scholar. Thank you all for listening. Today, I'll be talking to Ali Abdulatif Al-Mida about genocide in Libya, Shar, A Hidden Colonial History, published by Rutledge in 2020. Ali, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff, very much. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Can you uh, start us off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself?
0: Uh, I am um, Ali Latif Amida. I am um, a professor of political science at the University of New England. I was born in central Libya and educated uh, at Cairo University in Egypt and the University of Washington in uh, the United States. I um, have been I've been trained and and interested in three fields, uh, comparative uh, political theory, uh, historical sociology, and also um, African history. My work has been focusing on uh, anti-colonial resistance in Northern Africa, particularly Libya. And in the last 15, 20 years, I have been researching a very, very uh, sad case of forgotten uh, genocide uh, in Libya under, uh, the Italian fascist, uh, regime.
2: Thank you, Ali. And and for our listeners who are a little unfamiliar with the years between 1911 and 1934 in Libya, I know your book uh, focuses even more so on 1929 to 1934, but could you provide a brief overview to, to contextualize your research?
0: Yes, uh, the uh, my research has uh, my first uh, book has been uh, on the social, uh, cultural, and and, and uh, uh, economic basis of the anti-colonial resistance between late nineteenth century until uh, the, the nineteen thirty two, and the um, basically I tried to examine in my first book. The making of modern Libya is the uh, how did Libyan society reacted uh, to Italian uh, conquest, colonial conquest in 1911, and how the uh, various reactions could be explained uh, in until the end of the colonial period in 1943. And I try to explain a very very interesting um, uh, observation uh, about the the way Libyan society reacted to this conquest. Why the reaction of Libyan society varied from from the eastern uh, region to the western region to the southern region, and some resisted, some collaborated, some migrated, some um, uh, were in between, and I tried to explain that and explain how that colonial period uh, could be explained from a a very uh, much bottom-up perspective. And I observed that uh, the, uh, during the colonial period, the, uh, the horrors of that um, intense and brutal uh, period. And I continue to research that, that colonial history from um, the time I was a PhD student until now. This book that I, I started in 2000 really tried to examine and investigate one of the most terrible and violent cases in colonial Africa, which is the, um, the internment of over 110,000 people, civilians, in concentration camps before the Holocaust, and how um, the vast majority of them, two-thirds of them, perished in these camps. So I began that research in 2000, and I, um, um, it took me almost literally, Jeff, 15 years to investigate what happened. Um, in, in during that period, and why this case has been really dropped from modern scholarship, including a uh, forgotten genocide. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, thank you. You've touched on so much that we'll we'll get into in, in some more depth, so thank you for providing that background. Um, going back to your own um, you know being born in Libya, um, you know, in your introduction to your book, you inform your readers that you're the grandson of anti-colonial resistors in Libya. Uh, And about your childhood and education in Libya and your college education and postgraduate education in Egypt and the United States, respectively. How how did your life experiences influence your decision to write this book? And, And did it have any influence in your decision to research and write the book in the way that you did, focusing on archival and oral histories?
0: Well, that's a very good question, Jeff, because um, I think that the truth is that my parents and my grandparents brainwashed me. So <laughs> when I was growing up as a kid um, in, in central and southern Libya, um, this is a, you know, um, it was very peculiar um, period. I was born after independence in 1951 um, and uh, Libya became independent um uh, uh, constitutional monarchy federal constitutional monarchy in nineteen fifty one and I was lucky that i um, education became available and um my grandparents i grew up in an extended family uh, my grandmother uh, lived with us and my parents um, especially um, my grandparents were um in the same town. Their stories, and um, there was no TV, there was no radio, and the uh, stories and, and the oral narrative and, and the, the poetry and the, um, the, the fertile memory was really um, completely um, focused on what happened to them, uh, starvation, famine, resistance, migration, exile, resistance, Um, uh, death and mourning during that colonial period. And I grew up uh, with particularly um, two uh, grandparents who uh, both were active uh, in the anti-colonial resistance. And uh, my mother's, my um, maternal grandfather, Ali, um, I think um, took me under his wing and he told me his life story almost 20 times. And my mother was born in exile So uh, I had a first encounter in my childhood uh, to listen and um, uh, to learn from them this oral alternative hidden history about uh, the reaction to the uh, the colonial period, including the the horrors of of, um, uh, suffering and also the fact that my grandfather, after the end of the resistance and its defeat, had to one of them had to go into exile to escape execution, and the other one, the other one was hit, hit by uh, a group of um, um, Libyans in central Libya, and uh, the family thought that he died until he appeared after independence ten years later. The other grandfather uh, migrated to a country uh, called Chad under French control and um, took um, a refuge there, and my mother was born there. And um when they uh, only after in, independence and the defeat of the uh, uh, the fascists by the Allies, they came to Libya. And I came with that um, so when I was born, Jeff, I I grew up with all of this this rich layers of um, communal uh, family, oral um, history that um, tried to really yeah, for survival and for maybe um, uh, making sense of it, they kept it alive and they told the children. And I was one of the, um, the children who I was first born and um, I uh, really had two educations, public school education in Libya and, 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 and uh, after that college in Cairo. But I had a different cultural educational background, the oral um, and unrecorded um, history of ordinary people who were outside of the reach of the state and they were uh, in regions that refused to be, uh, you know, uh, controlled by the central state. And those traditions of self-governing and uh, autonomy and resisting colonialism influenced me a great deal. So when I came to uh, University of Washington in Seattle, I learned English there. And after that, I learned Italian. I decided um, that I wanted to really uh, give them justice, but also I wanted to learn what happened to my grandparents, and what happened to my family and other families of their generation. And I began to um, uh, investigate the colonial period, and I decided to to look at the archival um, records, oral history, field work, and that took me to study historical sociology, anthropology, and African history, and European history, and genocide studies. And I ended by becoming uh, a multi um, or interdisciplinary scholar on the colonial period. And uh, that um, uh, uh, consumed my scholarly activities for the last 30 years. And I published three major um, monographs, The Making of Modern Libya, "Forgotten Voices in uh, 2005, and then my probably most ambitious work, uh, which um, literally took uh, 15 years, as I said, to uh, investigate and research um, uh, this forgotten genocide, but also not an isolated case, but also I wanted to see, link it to other African forgotten genocides and link it to intervene in the uh, genocide studies in Europe and also in North America as a Libyan American
2: uh, um, historian, historical sociologist, and political scientist. It's it's really fascinating. Uh, I mean, it's, it's remarkable, I think, in a way that you've been able to, it sounds like your intellectual and scholarly journal has also been a personal journey. And then also going, you know, beyond to uh, anti-colonialism in some ways, uh, more broadly, Uh, it reminds me briefly of some research I did, um, where I was looking at Security Council recognitions of genocide as, you know, the, you know, the permanent five members. And, uh, I believe when they were discussing Cambodia, there were a number of African countries that um, referred to colonial gen- or col- colonialism as genocide, and it, it didn't really go anywhere. And sort of fits into this maybe larger uh, pattern of of forgotten genocides. Um, you can definitely feel free to to comment on on, on any of that. But I, I also wanted to ask you. You know, you mentioned learning Italian, um, and I think that relates to uh, you know a question I have for you about you know any challenges. Uh, and unique findings associated with your archival research. Uh, was one of those challenges gaining access to Italian documents? Or um, I assume that's, you know, why you learned Italian specifically was um, to aid you in your research. But um, yeah, please feel free to, to answer that and comment on anything else.
0: The uh, research was uh, not as easy as anticipated. I am trained to, uh, as a political scientist, but also as a historical sociologist and uh, historian, I uh, knew that a good work it requires patience and long time. One cannot just, you know, produce a book quickly and assume that's going to be really contributing to knowledge and scholarship. So I'm used to doing uh, three three um, um, methods of investigating uh, archival research like historians, uh, oral uh, history like anthropologists, and, and also literary analysis of um, a Cultures like the Libyan culture, where um, poetry and oral traditions are the way a society communicate and the way a society interact with each other. So this this research was the hardest, Jeff, because I discovered two obstacles. First, theoretical, which is a Eurocentric uh, colonial uh, scholarship and categories that treats these things as sad cases or really are uh, wars, uh, colonial wars that inevitable and that really doesn't really matter. The uh, second thing is uh, the um, the fact that there was a cover-up in Italy and to a point in England uh, uh, regarding uh, the uh, the secret and hidden history of fa- uh, colo- uh, Italian fascist and colonial um, uh, history and uh, the fact that um, uh, the, the, the I discovered that it, this is really true uh, when I came to the archives and I encountered two specific cases. First, I was kicked out in 1989 with a lame excuse, self-serving that I was um, a Libyan scholar, uh, American, but uh, I'm from Libya, originally from Libya, and Libyan government doesn't really allow uh, Italian scholars to research In in Libyan archives, which turned to be complete, uh, completely not true, and and then after that, uh, uh, after trying again, I I discovered that the uh, the the Italian government not only uh, refused to deal with um, the horrors and and the brutality and the genocide uh, in 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 Libya, uh, but also uh, they really uh, there was a cover up by removing the sensitive files on the archives and manipulating um, uh, the, those files as well. And the reason I learned about that, um, I, after many, many years of trying to get access to these files, a, a very, very um, um, a progressive uh, Italian historian by the name of Angelo del Bocca wrote to me after I got really so frustrated with this, and he said, you know, um, Ali, I have spent 40 years Researching the, the Italian archives, don't waste your time because I feel like, I think very, very, very um, much the case here. Uh, they either manipulated them or removed them because they are too embarrassing and sensitive, and that doesn't fit the idea of uh, benign, uh, moderate Italian fascism. So um, after that, I, you know, I, I replied to him and I said, "What should I do?" He said, "Son, if you, if I were you, you're young, you should, you could do that." go back and see if you could find the survivors in eastern Libya. So, um, Jeff, after uh, uh, finding uh, that, I, I reached a dead end uh, in this uh, uh, archives, And then I realized something also important later on, that um, some people still are naive and gullible about the archives. Uh, the archives are important, but archives reflect the narrative, the language, discourses, of the dominant colonial powers or state powers mm-hmm. and elites. And they're classified in a certain way, certain things included, certain things are uh, excluded, certain things are glorified, certain things are, are completely ignored. And and um, uh, out of this, I began to um, think uh, about, so there, there might be more to it than, than the archives. Then I discovered something even bigger, which is in England, um, for example, the BBC, a uh, very, very very enlightened uh, and, and conscientious um, producer by the name of King Kirby in 1998, uh, made this 2 hours documentary film called a Fascist Legacy. But um, after, uh, after it aired, the Italian government protested. They bought the rights of that video that exposed the atrocities and the genocide in, um, in Yugoslavia and Libya and also in Ethiopia. So um, they ended by uh, buying that and shelving that film. I couldn't find it in the United States. And this is a BBC film that's Mm -hmm. supposed to be really uh, for public consumption. Then I discovered who was behind it, what was in it. And it turned to be that a very uh, courageous American historian by the name of Michael Bolompo was researching uh, the same topic in the... uh, Na, uh, the uh, National Pu- um, Public Record Office uh, in 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 England, and he accidentally ran into uh, and discovered a classified document that are not supposed to be uh, um, uh, open, and exposed the Allies' covering of the atrocities um, in in by the fascists, and that uh, in Italy, and uh, that brought a larger problem. There was no Nuremberg trials in in. In, in Italy, the fascists were uh, liked and needed to in the fight against Nazism. And uh, the uh, the the seeds of, of, of really covering up and producing uh, a fictitious um, uh, historiography and narrative that Italian fascism was benign, Italian fascism was moderate, and uh, Italian uh, people are refined, they have fine cuisine, fine architecture, we love Italy. And it can't be as nasty as the German uh, culture and society that produced Nazism and the horrors of the Holocaust. So I began to investigate not only the dead end and the manipulation and the production of of archives, but also the the dominant uh, theory and model of Italian fascism vis-a-vis German Nazism. And uh, that informed me. Uh, And and away, and I began to go every summer um, um, from 2000 until 2010 to eastern Libya. And um, that became a a very, very tough, hard journey. First to find the survivors. These are kids. um, uh, They were kids when they were interned with their parents between 1929, 1934 in the camps. Uh, and the um, they were 15 uh, 5 to uh, 15 years old and they um, uh, they still have memory of what happened and it took a while um, to to gain their trust and be able to um, find them and interview them now your listeners Jeff need to understand there is a background my people might say so what happened why people are interned? first, uh, we have to understand two things. The first point: Italian uh, conquest in 1911, October ni- 1911, was very, very um, much assumed that they will be um, um, again, Ottoman uh, control, um, uh, they will modernize Libya. They began to have that propaganda, but they face a very, very well-organized societal. Uh, Resistance based on volunteers and volunteer armies. And that resistance took 20 years. That stiff resistance uh, posed a threat to the Italians, uh, especially the fascists in 1922, who had a design. They want to empty Eastern Libya and Libya as a colony, the foreshore, to settle uh, poor peasants of Italy between half a million, some estimate uh, one million in Libya. So uh, after they faced that resistance, they um, uh, came with draconian, really genocidal, racist policy. They To suffocate that resistance, they moved. They had a fence all along the Egyptian borders, and then they decided to do something so uh, horrific and violent prior to the Holocaust. I always argue this is the Holocaust before the Holocaust. They moved uh, between 100,000 and 110,000 people, children, women, and elderly on foot or by sea to the desert of Central Libya, and also they moved uh, 600,000 animals, the herds of those nomads and semi-nomads, and put them in 16 concentration camps. The four uh, camps that I investigated and researched for 10 years were the the brutal uh, camps where uh, most of the uh, death uh, took place. And um, between 1929, uh, those 110,000 who were entered there, um, uh, only one-third of them came alive in 1934, and that really became uh, another revelation, another discovery for me, and I began to really pay attention to the archival research, but mostly the the narrative uh, and the testimonies of the survivors, Uh, where uh, the book began to take a character of its own, uh, writing the history of this forgotten genocide um, from the perspectives uh, of those survivors. It took a decade, Jeff, uh, because uh, it it really was that difficult. It was that um, um, uh, really hard to decipher. And I decided I don't want to produce something out of five years. I want to be patient. I want to learn. I want to see what really happened to this collective crime and also see how the scholarship, the nationalist, the Eurocentric, the modern scholarship, either um, uh, commented on it, or ignored it, or tried to really be, uh, deny it uh, in the first place. And um, then I spent five years trying to really, you know, uh, examine, verify the evidence, um, uh, you know, see what's really uh, reliable or not. And out of it, after fifteen years, came this new book. Genocide in Libya, share uh, a hidden colonial history.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today—that's Shopify.com/slash-system.
2: Which is uh, an excellent book that I—I uh, I hope all of our listeners will eventually, at some point, uh, get the time to read it. Um, when once you gain the trust of the people you interviewed to speak, you know the survivors of, of concentration camps. Um, did you get an idea, or maybe s- since then, have you got an idea how they feel about? you know, the research and its purposes? And, um, you know, how how were you affected um, by this research and talking to these um, survivors? And uh, were there any concerns about their well-being? Um, Were there any um, ethical concerns with with the research that you did? That's an excellent question, Jeff. I actually, um, I became very,
0: very aware of this question uh, so to the point that I even wrote a whole chapter that you. Uh, I'm glad that you read the whole book, and I try to um, examine and, and tell what happened there, uh, and I think our your listeners will will probably would be interested in, in remembering this. When I went there, I wanted to listen and also um, tell the story of the genocide from their own perspective, what they have to say to me, but it turned to be it wasn't as easy when I. Uh, um, the, the, the wonderful, generous people who are uh, my friends in the Boy Scouts, in, in high school education, in sports, in uh, college in Cairo, all from Eastern Libya, all helped me. And what helped me also, two things, that my grandmother from, is, is from Eastern Libya and some of her members were interned too. Um, and um, the second thing is, when I went to see them in, uh, I was uh, very intrigued, but also um, um, pleasantly surprised. They, 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 they investigated me, or they really interviewed me before I could interview them, some of them. They say, <laughs> who are you? Uh, what's the, who are your parents? Who are your grandparents? Why are you doing this research? What are you going to do with this research? And I loved it because it meant that they are conscientious. They were clear about what they went through, and their uh, parents and grandparents. They were creed uh, They were aware of the of the um, uh, genocidal policy against them, and it really brought to me something scholars brush aside, and just they you know they go and research and they find their you know um um uh, their own um um results and and they publish them. And one of them told me, um, and, and his son told me, uh, you know, um, professor, are you gonna? You are uh, uh, you know um, um, living and in and, and, and teaching in America. I said yes. Uh, you were educated in America. I said yes, and he, They said to me, "What are you going to do with our uh, research? Are you going to just uh, uh, write our stories and then write a book, a book and get all the credit for you and 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 use us as a um, uh, as a material for your own um, prestige?" And I said, "No, no, I'm willing to listen." Um, and, 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 and then um, and, and I assure you that um, when I f- finish this book, I'm going to try to translate it into Arabic and I'll send you copies of it so you'll make sure that's the case. And then they asked me, uh, when they asked me about my grandparents and they realized that they were also in the anti-colonial resistance. And I'm also uh, something very interesting. Um, in Libya, people uh, talk about communal... Uh, and, and background. And so they asked me, where are you from? I said, I am from Wadan. And then some admits, you know, I said, you, are you from the Ashrafs? I said, yes. Ashrafs are uh, the uh, Muslims uh, or Arabs who, des- uh, who trace their descendants and genealogy from the Prophet Muhammad's family. So that gave me a lot of uh, mileage there with them. And the fact that my both my uh, grandparents were in the resistance gave me another uh, um, uh, credentials in their eyes, and that my my, my grandmother was from Eastern Libya, uh, a, from a resisting family as well, that um, calmed them down. And then after that, when they opened to me, Jeff, they not only began to talk to me openly, they even gave me um, rare uh, photos, uh, rare drawings. Um, it, they gave me also um, uh, poems that composed um, during the time of internment. And also they began to tell me, introduce me to other survivors. And that took literally 10 years. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> I think my grandparents and my, uh, they should be happy in their graves that I, I try to be very thorough and very, very faithful. Uh, but at the same time, Jeff, I was very clear. I don't want to write an, another nationalistic uh, um, uh, you know, condemnation or so. I wanted to be aware that the nation state in Libya, under the monarchy and under Gaddafi, they used and appropriated this horrible, brutal history uh, uh, for their own ends. So I wanted to write something that's not only about re, uh, you know, um, thinking and and putting together this collective social hidden history, but also I wanted to look at other African. Cases and all, above all, I wanted to write a transnational, trans, transcultural um, um, monograph that also intervene and introduce this case to genocide studies in Europe and our debates in the United States. In other words, what I wanted to do is not only to put together. Um, the narrative uh, and the history of this forgotten genocide that nobody knows about it. And still, I will claim, a few people know about it. But also, I wanted to make sure that how to explain the silence, the denial, the cover-up, and lack of uh, evidence, and um, bring that issue to contemporary politics and contemporary situation in Libya, in Italy, uh, and also... I investigated our own reception in the United States through the New York Times, the National Geographic magazine, our scholarship on benign and moderate fascism, and our movies and Hollywood representations of that. So I tried to make it a very ambitious, uh, relevant um, uh, monograph about not just the past, but also the history of the present and its very multiple layers and multiple connections and above all, I really wanted to, to um, make this case visible to uh, non Libyans, but at the same time intervene in the debate about um, uh, Eurocentric study of genocide and by saying that the Holocaust has roots in Africa. Uh, the, um, the Holocaust has um, brought maybe the other way around, brought what happened in the colonies to Europe itself, and also. To my shock, I discovered something completely new uh, in that regard. Um, the uh, German um, Nazi state and officials were fascinated and um, impressed by how successful the genocide of over 70,000, 80,000 uh, outside the camps, as also in eastern Libya, as a model uh, in in to the German uh, Nazi state later on, and I had no idea about that. I ran into that by accident. Uh, this is something probably I could tell you more about it um, uh, if you would like.
2: For sure, uh, I mean the the, the one sort of common quote that's attributed, uh, to Hitler, um, about previous genocides points to the Armenian genocide, right? No one, uh, who remembers the Armenians or I, I, yes. I forget the exact, um, quote. Yeah. The, uh, the case of Libya does not come in, uh, to the same context when talking about sort of precursors or, um, lessons learned for, for the, for the Jewish Holocaust. So, um, so we can definitely come to that. I also want to get to, um, to this question of forgotten genocides and and labeling and in genocide studies cases and labeling is is quite contentious there's um been um conflict and debate uh, among scholars and a primary area for contestation is the the question of genocidal intent and the distinguish between you know war or conflict and genocide uh, because there was anti-colonial resistance in libya and a counterinsurgent counterinsurgency do you think this explains why some members of the international community, whether scholarly or otherwise, and notably in the West, don't recognize uh, Italy's violence against Libyans as genocide? Would they, would they argue that the intent was not there? Well,
0: uh, there are two ways to answer this question. First of all, uh, Raphael Lemkin, the brilliant um, uh, visionary uh, Jewish-Polish um a uh, legal scholar who is the father of modern genocide studies, he identified the the very particular point that you're um, asking, Jeff. He said that there to for genocide to to um, uh, to be um, acknowledged, you have to have intentionality and also the destruction um, um, of, of um, social, political, physical, and cultural life. The uh, and, and and some scholars get. Uh, the two things they when, when they debate these things, we have uh, layers that say, "Oh, the uh, you are aware of it that the Holocaust was unique, and uh, there you cannot be compared." And there are some scholars who, who who say that because of the horrors, and the intensity and the number. But I think number is really um, it shouldn't be the case. Uh, the um, uh, in the case of Libya, I discovered that there was uh, letters that stated exactly the bad fate and the intention, were the three generals, uh, Dubono, uh, Bedelio, and the uh, general who executed that plan, Graziani, Rodolfo Graziani, uh, they stated that very, very much the case. We are a modern state. We, Libya, belongs to us, our fourth We are coming back. We are the heirs of the Roman Empire. And we have to, our people have to breathe and settle. And if these Bedouin, if these uh, nomads, these um, uh, undisciplined people, if they don't um, really come to terms with our intention, um, we it's okay. Uh, and we're going to be very, very, very firm to the point um, of if that means leads to the extermination of the whole population, so be it. So in terms of intentionality, if people get judicious about this, uh, we discover evidence for this. And, and that's really... Um, uh, this is really uh, the, uh, the the first point. The second point is uh, the Libyan genocide b- because of the intentionality and the destruction uh, of, of the 70,000 people and the fact that Libya lost at least one-third of its population. Just to give you an idea, Libya, according to Ottoman census in, in uh, the year 1908-1910 had a million to a million and a half in 1943 only 800,000 people um, um, you know, um, uh, were recorded uh, at that time living in Libya, uh, which, by the way, it used to be called Tripoli. Libya is a name that the Italian uh, re- revived from the Roman period. So the first thing is you need to understand that this is really um, a very, very uh, manipulative argument uh, instead of really recognizing that if, if people are have the same worth, uh, if we respect people and not other them, or look at them as uh, victims of progress and civilization and modernization as the colonial ideology usually addresses, especially in settler colonial states. And if we take the others as equal uh, and societies as living cultures, then there is no escape to recognize other um, um, holocausts and other uh, genocides. And and I think in that sense, uh, it's very obvious uh, to me that this is a case of genocide not only is it a, a, a very major genocide, it's horrific because it it occurred, you know, it's the first major genocide after the Herero and the Armenian genocides um, after World War I. It's the first major one, and it was prior to the Holocaust. So it's its It's really a connection with the Holocaust uh, is really huge. And here... And instead of talking about the conflict between Jews and Muslims, we are talking about Jews, you know, um, gypsies, um, um, other groups, and uh, Libyan Muslims who were both victims of fascist genocides. And we have to keep in mind that Italy um, is among a few um, fascist countries that had genocides in the 20th century. The German, um, of course, uh, they had uh, colonies earlier. So in that sense, this is really... Um, in terms of empirical evidence, oral history it breaks a new grounds, and uh, in terms of uh, theorizing and making connections and trying to make sense of these, this really horrible uh, case and its oral history, it tried to uh, raise a new question about old topics and making new connections that goes beyond Eurocentrism, uh, colonial knowledge and also the nation itself as a unit of thinking about genocide. And in that sense, uh, I wanted to provincialize Europe, not only in, in one sense, but also bring the other connections that uh, was exposed and advocated by other scholars, from uh, the, uh, Hannah Arendt to um, Mike Davis to Mahmoud Mamdani to uh, Jim Scott's, and also other scholars who try to really give alternative way of thinking, alternative um, theorizing of genocide. It's not a coincidence, uh, Jeff, that um, we have now um, made a quite, um, um, you know, um, leap forward as far our understanding uh, of uh, forgotten genocide in Australia, in Africa, in 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 the Middle East, in in Latin America. And um, well, I hope that in, in our own United States, we we'll recognize even fully uh, the Native genocides. But in, unfortunately, even the new um, the new books on on, on a forgotten genocide did not include the Libyan case. So I'm really I'm, I'm I feel very very uh, glad that I, as a scholar as an American uh, Libyan scholar, I was able in, in these fifteen years to really. Um, um, uh, Salvage that, that hidden history before it was too late, because most of the survivors now are either dead or senile. Uh, and in that sense, the, uh, the Libyan case uh, uh, you know, um, could have been forgotten. And I have to say, up until recently, the Italian um, um, official silence over this genocide and the fact that this nobody knew about it. When I go to many many um, universities, I ask people the same question, and you will be surprised nobody knew about it. They say, "Ali, is there any? Um, was there any um, uh, concentration camps in Libya?" So I think um, I feel like being an American academic allowed me to the patience and the independence to spend uh, this decade to uh, try to put together and figure out the riddles and the puzzles of this case, why it happened, how it happened, and why it disappeared from modern scholarship. And and the book maybe uh, will contribute uh, to your listeners and to the readers um, uh, something as big uh, of a crime as uh, the genocide in Libya, which is as big as the Herero genocide in the turn of the 20th century, the uh, Congo genocide that... Um, also, we often uh, forget about it, and the violence in Algeria. So, these yeah. are the four nasty cases that we need to kind of keep in mind, and, and Hannah Arendt was visionary and brilliant in stating in uh, 1951 that the, to understand what went on in Europe, um, uh, the horrors of totalitarian regimes and genocide, we have to look back in Africa, but a lot of people forgot about that observation and then at the few books and conferences that try to think about it, they try to really turn it to a posturing um, a very very much uh, quotations or dismissal thing. So I'm, I make no I make no um, uh, I'm very very much um, uh, uh, you know a strong um, in my you know thinking and my argument about it's time for us to confront these models and these silences, And that would enable us to discover and uh, humanize the others, uh, including the Libyan people who um, uh, face this horrific uh, experience. And um, one of the worst things for me, Jeff, uh, was to uh, after I done all of the oral research among the survivors and did all of the research in three languages and three continents about the archival evidence, I decided to take my camera and take... um, and go to the archives, uh, to the uh, to the location of these camps, the four camps I researched, and I was horrified, because of the one thing that really shocked me and um, um, and really made me very 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 um, uh, um, disturbed is the um, sight of thousands of graves, uh, collective um, mass graves and singular graves, and, and at Agela. And uh, at the Brega concentration camps and and I came face to face with death and the genocide. Uh, One last point also important for um, the listeners to keep in mind that the destruction uh, the the, the people were not gassed even though um, the the Italian fascists used gas first in 1929 in Libya and 1935 in in Ethiopia which also of course the Nazi uh, took to a higher level of of, um, uh, of genocidal policies. But what I discovered that uh, the, um, when I asked them, the survivors, why so many people perish in the camps? And they said, son, we died because of Shar. And then Shar in Arabic means evil. But in this particular Libyan culture means starvation or hunger first in this particular experience they meant that they were they were not fed they were giving a little bit of barley uh, and when they were got sick they were not treated so the vast majority the two-thirds of them the seventy thousand um, uh, people there especially the elderly and children and the sick ones died because of diseases and uh, add to that these are hardworking, self-sufficient people. They have their uh, agriculture, their herds, and, and their animals. Most of the herds, 6,000 uh, of them either confiscated or uh, died as well because they, were, um, they wanted to start the population. So this, this horrible, really violent history uh, made me understand what happened at least. And uh, at the same time it allowed me to see uh, the resistance, the resilience, the awareness that they were facing um, um, uh, very, very genocidal policies, but also the ability to compose poetry, to keep uh, the memory alive and record and teach the children and the grandchildren about it, which amazed me. Uh, And I began to understand there is a culture within a culture. There is a modern Libyan culture And there is oral, poetic, uh, communal culture that existed beyond um, the the national state and the the national elite of Libya. And understanding that language, that vocabulary, that poetry, those poems allowed me to really understand how they reacted culturally and socially and how they kept uh, that, that memory fertile and alive until today.
2: And were these um, you know, social and, and cultural responses part of the healing and, re- and reparative process? Yes,
0: absolutely, Jeff. You, you got it right. I think by remembering um, uh, those stories, it helped them uh, stay alive, expressing themselves to the point that one of uh, the elderly uh, uh, folks whom I interviewed, and I uh, methodologically, uh, you know, I, I tried to be reflexive and to be really um, aware of it. I'll interview some of them more than once to see if the narrative and the oral history has been changed or not. But one of them told me, listen, son, we died because of shar and marad, means starvation and diseases. But without talking about it, we will die alive. And I, I took that quote and put it at the beginning of one of my chapters because I think uh by keeping that memory alive uh, they were able to heal they were able to uh, remember their humanity and their agency and their voices and kept it going and 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 uh, I talked with them I said you know what should we do now what should do with this uh, they they said uh, son first we need to we need uh, you to tell us our stories and I promised them to do this but I didn't get any sense of of um, calling for vengeance or retribution or so, they said the most important thing for us, not the money, not the reparation. We want just the world to understand what happened to us because it looks nobody paid attention to us. And uh, I talked with one of the um, uh, the children of, of these, uh, these young men and women. Um, and and one, one older lady, uh, she really, I still have her recording, uh, she will sing to me, uh, one moment she will cry and tell me what happened to us. And also another moment will, will sing to me. And I, uh, I, uh, I was so, um, you know, taken by this scene. when I listened to these interviews twice, three times, four times, five times, just to understand what they're saying and how they're saying it. So I, I think uh, this communal memorization and recitation of the poetry of the uh, narrative of the names um, became a way of healing and really remembering what happened to them. And, and thank God, um, I, I was lucky uh, with the support of really good people um, uh, in, in, in Eastern Libya, you know, good people in Italy too, you know, um, the people who believe in my research in my own university, University of New England here in Maine, who supported me, my students, Um, I began to really uh, realize that, and to the point that uh, I don't just do that research. Uh, I teach courses related to my comparative genocide and forgotten genocides, and uh, my undergraduate students are delightful because they keep asking about this, and I, I even teach a course called Empire and Genocide, Jeff. And... Uh, uh you know it's it's a full course I have a waiting list in this and I I teased my students. I said you know what's wrong with you guys who wants to study some as horrible thing as genocide and they smiled uh, so uh, this is um this is uh, I think a way for uh, people to keep it alive and I have to also to add one more point Jeff while this has been really almost kind of depressed me and I told a friend of mine in 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 Spain, I almost my soul comes out because it was so hard and so painful. I have to say, uh, my colleagues, uh, when I was invited to give talks in our many many leading universities, um, in after the publication of my book "Forgotten Voices," uh, people were very open. They didn't know much about the case, um, uh, but they would say, uh, "Tell us more about it." They were, you know, um, very eager, and all said, yeah, we hope that you finish this work. But my, uh, you know, um, the I couldn't finish this research without the support of my own students, our own library, our, the, the people in Eastern Libya, uh, some friends in Italy and in England. And uh, I'm just, you know, so glad that I did not rush this research uh, because easily one could get tired one could say, you know, you want to have a life. Uh, my, two <laughs> young ki- my two young kids who are in college now, uh, they complain to me all the time. Uh, and uh, it, I really drove them uh, nuts because day and night I'm in my basement um, calling people, researching. And uh, um, when I went to Eastern Libya, um, I remember uh, they laughed at me because uh, the, the Libyan Studies Center, which did a remarkable job in um uh, collecting oral history under the supervision of Professor John Bansina, uh, who was the um, uh, advisor for Professor Muhammad Jarrari in Tripoli, I uh, decided to ask my own questions, including what did they feed you, uh, what kind of clothes, they, they do you have any clothes, and, and they used to laugh at me, they say, you know, oh, ladies are very American questions. I said, no, you guys are wrong. <laughs> These are real questions. You forgot to ask the people about them because uh, they made a lot of sense. Of course, many of the colleagues there, they are historians. And uh, that's the the other lesson, uh, Jeff. Uh, We have to have multidisciplinary or collaborative work to produce something um, uh, uh, holistic and important. And I think um, I discovered that my political science alone uh, degree and training was not enough. I discovered my historical so- training, in historical sociology, was not enough. I discovered that um, that my anthropology courses and reading and methods really helped me. And and after that, and above all, uh, the um, I had to learn for three years how to understand oral traditions, uh, non-material expression and communication. Um, um, uh, the um uh, the the way people interact and express themselves in a different way and only by understanding um these uh, unconventional multiliterary uh, sources i began to understand uh, discover the, the larger picture but also i became very 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 convinced that the cold war categories the area studies um um uh, division of European studies, of African studies, of sub-Saharan uh, studies, of um, they are really are an obstacle more than, um, uh, you know, empowering us to to understand and produce a new knowledge. If you just focus on European studies and forget about North Africa as um, uh, alone, or if you look at the Sahara as a, as a divide, an empty space between Northern uh, Africa and sub-Saharan Africa, it makes no sense. Uh, I advocated in this book uh, a new uh, way of thinking, a new epistemology uh, against the canons of the area studies and the canons of the Cold War by advocating that um, we need to kind of look at um, at um, the interconnections and in, between these countries and I, and, and I argue that you cannot understand Europe without understanding Africa and Asia uh, we cannot understand, Italy without understanding Libya and Ethiopia and Eritrea for that matter, or France without looking at Algeria, and and, and vice versa. And we could say also us and the United States we need to see these connections not because we want to be nice or understand something um, uh, uh, benevolent, but this is history is really the history is of the present is what we are after. But also we need to really be aware that the area studies will be an obstacle. More than uh, allowing us to discover these connections, uh, discover these um, um, uh, interdependence. And and the fact, um, I argued that in Italy and also um, in many, many of my talks, there is no way one can understand modern Libya without understanding Italy. And you cannot understand Italy without looking at, uh, uh, at the Libyan case. So that's, I would say, the new methodology and new wisdom. Uh, Going forward in the 21st century. We cannot cling to these old um, epistemologies and canons and assumptions and unit of analysis. Uh, Of course, that will encompass also the idea of a nation-state as a unit of analysis. And there are things that goes beyond um, uh, modern nation-states. And and when we confront them, it will liberate us, uh, it will allow us to have a new uh, uh, work, not only about Libya itself, but Libya as a case among many, and uh, allow us to explore uh, liberating uh, social sciences that um, will build more bridges, will build more knowledge than the idea of uh, everybody in their own.
2: And and in your conclusion, um, you actually say, quote, a transnational, or you make a call for a, quote, transnational and comparative critical paradigm that engages not only subaltern voices, but examines the silence of an empire, colonial genocides, and the political theory associated with them. Uh, Looking beyond Libya, uh, and you've touched on this already a little bit, but what do you think scholars might come to see that they have not already if they um, were to engage in such a paradigm?
0: Well, uh, Jeff, uh, listen, uh, we... We have to break the silence and denial. Empire matters. Uh, colonialism matters. Colonialism did not end in the by independence. Colonialism in, in the colonies and also in the colonizing countries did not end then. The minute we uh, we rehabilitate, bring back categories that we, we, we tend to uh, ignore, um, allow us to not only see the realities and the dynamics that are with us, but also confront the um, um, the history of racism, of dehumanizing others, of uh, the 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 use and abuse of uh, things like modernization, uh, progress, civilization, and and also um, um, you know a uh, deal with 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 uh, power and language. I think um, we have to understand that um, these uh, ideas are used to really justify and legitimize empire um, uh, domination, and yes, including genocide. Unless we confront the silences and the blind spots in our social sciences and our um, uh, assumptions, I think uh, we will really miss what happened in reality. We We have to keep in mind, we inherited the social sciences from the 19th century, the age of empire and colonialism. And I think uh, those social sciences were silent. Uh, they, they were really a part of, of the larger context, including you know, big, big uh, wigs like Max Weber, uh, like the European uh, scholars who influence our social sciences. You know, um, the, so I think it's about time that we look critically at, um, at the uh, knowledge and power as interconnected. Um, uh, knowledge is not always neutral. Knowledge is really produced by social, economic, and institutional settings, directly or indirectly. And now we have an opportunity to re-examine the failing of colonial knowledge, the persistence of colonial knowledge, um, Cold War um, uh, scholarship, and also the area studies as really a variation uh, that did not confront the ghosts of the past. Because the ghosts of the past were us, will be with us whether we like it or not. And imagine, Jeff, what kind of um, society we'll uh, have to deal with. Imagine that us in the United States where we ignore empire, we ignore uh, domination, we ignore genocide in our own history. And imagine when we confront these issues, what kind of um, uh, really uh, liberating possibilities that would be for all of us. So I think I'm, I'm, I make, um, a big deal out of this. This is really uh, the larger lessons uh, of the empirical history. That's And that's why I refuse to be pushed back to say, oh, this is a Libyan case. Let's look at it from African perspective. Oh, it's a sad case about colonial wars. Uh, and after all, they say to me, some people who are really still entrenched in that, didn't uh, Italian colonialism also brought science and medicine and, um, and education to some people? I would say to them, and exterminated almost one third or half of the population, uh, the idea that um, you know colonialism, especially settler colonialism as modernizing is an ideological construction that refused to treat the other as a human being
2: thank you Ali. yeah I, 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 you know reckoning with our um, well, by our I guess I could be speaking about the United States with maybe larger um, the western world um, it'd be without acknowledging um, and, and reckoning with our past, how can we possibly expect us, uh, you know, the policies to change in the future? And that's I like, you know, one of the things, uh, an argument I make, I, I have a book on the United States and genocide and looking at the U S relationship with, um, with Indonesia in, in the mid sixties, you know, Guatemala, Pakistan, etc. Um, you know, these things aren't talked about as being like complicit in genocide or conspiring in the case of Indonesia in genocide or, um, you know, uh, the, the history of treatment of, of indigenous peoples in the United States. And if we don't like, acknowledge how we, what we actually did um I just don't see how we can expect our, those policies to change in the future. And that's um, you know, where we see persistent racism or arming Saudi Arabia with what it's doing in Yemen. Like these things, they don't change if we don't talk about them and, and see them for what they are. So um, thank you for this incredible contribution.
0: Thank you very much, Jeff. I really enjoyed uh, the conversation with you. And I'm very grateful for, um, for the fact that you approached me and you read my book. That's the best thing I could hear. I could hear from, um, from anybody. And uh, um, I enjoyed our conversation very much.
2: Thank you. And, and before we, we do let you go, uh, is there anything, are you working on anything new? Is there anything connected to this book, another um, part of this project?
0: I'm exhausted now, <laughs> but I uh, I think, uh, as I promised the survivors, is I'm uh, going to try when I recover my energy and hopefully will have a vaccine to survive this uh, pandemic. Uh, I would like to every weekend maybe translate um, the book because it's really, um, as I hate to give it to somebody who doesn't understand the multi-layers perspectives uh, on this. So I am... Um, Uh, I'm gonna uh, try to um, um, to do that, and uh, there is a temptation to do a follow-up that I'm, you know, to the book. Um, Many many people are asking me to do that, but I'm. I promised my two kids, um, they (laughs) both are in college, that next subject is gonna be a lighter one. So I'm. I want to cling to maybe to them to that idea that I might um, work in Egyptian cinema and film uh just a a lighter topic than genocide but i i guess that's um that's to be seen jeff
2: all right well thank you so much i'll be um get your rest and uh and maybe we'll talk again in the future
0: i would love to thank you very much it was a pleasure to talk to you jeff thank you very much again
2: thank you Uh, take care